Hello there, and welcome to Encounters with Dignity. I'm Caitlin Morneau, your host for this podcast on restorative justice from Catholic Mobilizing Network. On Encounters with Dignity, we bring you stories, learnings, and actionable wisdom from people who are putting restorative justice into practice. We want to help prepare people of faith to bring this reconciling approach to their communities, churches, and everyday lives. Here at CMN, we often talk about restorative justice as an approach to crime and harm that focuses on repairing relationships that were broken and human dignity that was violated. In other words, modeling Jesus's reconciling way. As we do this work, it's important to remember that not all harm happens on an interpersonal level. Relationships and dignity can be violated on a much larger scale by governments and institutions. In this episode, we'll focus on harms like this, specifically the intergenerational impacts of Native American boarding schools, which were administered by the U.S. federal government with cooperation of Catholic institutions. A series of papal bulls issued in the 15th century endorsed a colonizing worldview that wrongfully legitimized the displacement, enslavement, and dehumanization of Native peoples. These statements were effectively revoked and rebuked by subsequent popes. However, they had lasting political and cultural impacts. In a few moments, you'll hear from two indigenous Catholic leaders as they explore the complex relationship between the Catholic Church and Native peoples here in the U.S., and how restorative approaches can help the church walk in solidarity with Native people toward healing and right relationship. First, we'll hear from Macaw Black Elk, Executive Director for Truth and Healing at Red Cloud Indian School, a K-12 Jesuit school on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. In his role, he works to address historical trauma and racial injustice of former Indian boarding schools and deepen the intercultural and interfaith dialogue between his own indigenous community and the Catholic Church. Later in the episode, Maka will be joined by Deacon Andy Orozco, who serves as deacon for Native American ministry in the Diocese of San Bernardino, California. He is active in Native causes locally and nationally that help give voice to the accomplishments of America's first people. Going into this episode, it's important to remember that restorative practices are rooted in Indigenous tradition. These peacemaking ways were nearly wiped out through forced assimilation, as we'll hear described. We who are proponents of restorative justice are indebted to the resilience and generosity of those who share this enduring wisdom for the healing of all people. And so, before we continue listening, let us each take a moment to contemplate whose land we are seated on. What happened to the community who originally dwelled here? How might that community still be present? How am I invited to honor their story and dignity by my prayerful listening? Indian boarding schools were part of a broader, grand-scale initiative by the United States government to target 
the children of indigenous peoples in this country. And that particular targeting began really in the late 1800s with the, the legacy of, of Colonel Richard Henry Pratt, um, most famous for the uh, creation of the very first boarding school of its kind in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And at that school, which brought together indigenous children from across this nation, he enacted a model which he coined as kill the Indian, save the man, arguing that these people who are notably savage and barbaric in their ways can be civilized and that that was the, the goal rather than complete extermination. If you were to Google search Indian boarding schools, you'll find pictures, um, before and after pictures, most of them coming from Carlisle, that show Native American children in a before state where they are still in sort of their cultural clothing, not assimilated yet into Western society. And then after pictures where they are now fully dressed in Western clothing, their hair cut and their language having been totally ripped from them and their culture now entirely different from what they were familiar with and grew up with. This legacy is still relevant today because the sporting school history encompasses generations of Native American children who were forcefully removed from their home and taken to these schools to be in an environment completely unfamiliar to them, where the language was spoken, one that they had not yet heard before, typically, especially in the early years, and that sought to, again, erase and, and make them ashamed of who they were. That process continued all through the late 1900s, mid-1900s into 1950s, 60s. In fact, our boarding school, right in my own community, formally closed its doors uh, in 1980. And it's through, through that legacy where often the children who were in these environments uh, certainly experienced loneliness, shame, physical abuse, sexual abuse, and who were raised without their parents and without that home and loving environment that their parents may have provided. That particular process endured a legacy by which then the abuse that those young Native American people experienced could then be passed on to their children eventually, where then a cycle of abuse can continue. There were many Christian denominations that operated these schools. The Catholic Church was uh, by and large one of the largest. And it's through that legacy that we continue to reckon with a deep divide in certainly my community and in many indigenous communities across this country. All of the countries in the broader, uh, I guess, sort of former British Empire, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, they've all reckoned with something like this as well, with similar boarding school experiments where children are ripped from their communities and, and made to change. All of those countries have apologized in some way, shape or form, except for the United States. But this really is beyond apology, as, as I'm sure you all know. When it comes to the relationship between Indigenous peoples and the, and the church and the history there, it, it is really important to be mindful of every Indigenous group having a different history and, and relationship, that there's nuance within the different communities. Uh, my community's history with 
the church is, is much more difficult and challenging than some, say, other communities who engaged with the Catholic immigrants in a very different way, and, and that history sort of fell out differently. I think it's always very important for when you're thinking about engaging in the conversation around Indigenous peoples in the diocese where you live, that you, you have to start there with the, the people who are of the land and whose relationship is meaningful to, to that history. The legacy of it, again, of this, of this relationship between boarding school and Catholic church and broader colonization writ large remains a fundamental barrier between indigenous peoples and uh, certainly the ability to reconcile uh, and the trust that can be placed within the, the broader Catholic church writ large. You know, here at Red Cloud Indian School today, most of our students are not Catholic and continue to question the very existence of the Catholic church still being present in their community today. You know, grew up here, I went to school at Red Cloud. I'm aware of uh, the way in which the community understands the institution as being one that does not wish to address its history. And that's at the core of really the challenge that we face for Indigenous peoples related to all of this history, the history of colonization and the specificity of the boarding school experience. It is not the fact that we aren't dealing with the ramifications of it. It's the greater reality that the broader American community, the Catholic Church itself, has not uh, engaged in this history. In fact, many people across the country still don't know about the history and legacy of Indian boarding schools. And so it's actually a, the lack of knowledge around the pain of that history that continues to breed the ongoing hurt and pain today. And so we've made a decision as an institution to begin this process. We've been um, certainly one small pocket of the broader Catholic Church represented by one specific faction of the Jesuits to start. And already it's a difficult process. Already in these very early stages of the truth-telling process, there is a, a discomfort in broaching this challenging, painful history on all sides. Uh, I've spoken with community survivors of the boarding school era who really don't know if they can engage in the memories that they have of their experience and who are unsure of their ability to, to do that. I've spoken with Jesuits uh, in the community who are really, really hyper-focused on litigating what happened and what didn't happen. And I have been you know, really working to communicate that this is not about what did or didn't happen. This is not about litigating any particular accusation of abuse. This is about of an entire relationship between these very different communities that is really rooted in uh, this whole legacy of the Catholic Church's initial eagerness in what was the doctrine of discovery to name that indigenous peoples were, were not fully human and who needed to be saved. We have come a, certainly a long way from that, but that legacy is still raw and real. I get asked the question all the time, 
how can you be indigenous and Catholic? And it's a really valid question. <laughs> it's a really valid question that deserves a really honest and sincere and I think worthy investigation into, into answering. And I think at the core of that answering is engaging in this very important legacy that continues to impact certainly my community and many communities across the country to this day. find it so helpful to hear about what healing this national harm looks like within a particular local community. And no doubt the work has evolved even since this talk was recorded. Though the questions are enduring. What more can I learn about the relationships between Native people and the Catholic Church in my area? How does my faith call and equip me to engage anew with the truth of this history? How do we as church walk in solidarity with Native and Indigenous people toward healing, repair, and reconciliation? In this next segment, Maka and Deacon Andy talk with one another about these very questions. Let's listen. I'm here to bring awareness to the beauty of the Native American culture and traditions of the indigenous peoples of this land for over 10,000 years and to put a human face on the invisible. I'm here to uh, promote the embracing of historical sins, to bind the wounds of these sins, and finally heal so that we may all live in a peace-filled heart. Restorative justice calls for the healing of all people, those who were the perpetrators, those who were the victims, including all who were affected, the families on both sides, the community, and those who serve the community. Thank you, uh, Deacon Andy. In my role and in my work, I started off as an educator um, with our students working with our young people in, in our high school, but really my work has always kind of been focused on how we understand ourselves as Indigenous peoples and what that means for our future and our relationships, I think, by and large. So in this current role, Red Cloud Indian School is a former Indian boarding school. And uh, for those who are not aware, Indian boarding schools have a very dark history of sort of pernicious uh, cultural genocide. And so that is true of our history as well. And it's something that our community still broadly feels and understands and experiences in different ways, especially the aftermath and the long lasting effects of historical trauma. So my work is really about addressing that and facing that in our community for the first time in a way that's intentional, because in order to really recover, we have to face the, the pain and the hurt that has been impacted. Since the fall of man, the beginning of creation, there have been tragic stories uh, of people imposing their will on others, and it hasn't stopped. It continues to this day. For the Native American people, specifically for my region, we have the mission system where we had the Spanish come and uh, impose their way of life without looking into who, who we are as a people since we had been in this land for over 10,000 years and imposing their laws, their ways, and basically taking away our livelihood as, a, as, as Native people, taking away our culture, taking away our language. Though it may have been in their eyes a good thing, for us as a Native people, specifically for our area, there was a lot of loss of culture, a lot of loss of tradition, a lot of loss of, uh, uh, of language. Uh, those things that are important 
there's a lot of deep hurts in 2019. There was a 250th uh, commemoration of the founding of Mission San Diego de Acala, the first mission in California. And with that, it was both a difficult time and also a good time because it allowed us to be able to finally have a voice at the table. Uh, and I think that is what we're all seeking, to, is to have a voice at the table. So that way we can, uh, we can start healing, we can start uh, being one with each other and in a good way. I would just echo, I think, a lot of the, the, the historical pieces that Deacon and described are also true of, of my community as well, um, in terms of just the specifics of historical harm and, and the damage to cultural practice, languages, etc. But I think it's also important to understand the long-term impact of that particular set of actions and, and sort of the, the, the broad consequences that still linger today. I think for a lot of Indigenous peoples, there is still a strong need in, in dis for discernment about who we are as Indigenous peoples. So much of the dialogue around Indigenous peoples today has this very challenging question about our status and our sense of belonging. You know, are we these separate nations or are we, you know, sort of integrated into this, uh, this society? And to what extent um, are, are either of those things true? And I tend to refer to this sort of outcome um, that's come about as this sort of false binary, that indigenous peoples are faced with this choice. That's a false choice, but it, nonetheless, it's a choice that's sort of presented often where we have to choose either empowering our traditions, our language, our culture, and sort of trying to be true to those or return to those or in lieu of that, that we're choosing, you know, some westernization that, and that these two things are fundamentally incompatible. So we have these like really difficult conversations that need to happen around our unique place in American society and questions about what we want for our future as communities through healing from those historic wounds. And that's a conversation that I think doesn't exclude our non-Indigenous communities either because they, they have a role to play, I think, in asking that same question um, to themselves of what does it mean for our Indigenous communities to belong to this nation or to have the sort of self-determination that has been recognized and to what extent are those things incompatible or not? And I think the answer is that they're not, but we're not in a place to fully understand that yet and communities really have to have these difficult conversations through this work. What is also important to understand is, is that God, our creator, God the Father, is present in only that that brings us closer to him spiritually and through a deeper relationship through him. Because of our deeper relationship with each other, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus prays, your kingdom will come when your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And in heaven, there is only peace, never chaos. Restorer of justice, practiced in a way that embraces true healing, and forgiveness by all allows us to heal in a loving way, a way that wills the heavenly good of another before self. It is a complete circle you know, where we help heal each other so that we can live as one with each other. This is a painful history to hear. As a non-Native person, I acknowledge how it is even more painful to relive and recount for those who have survived it. So we are deeply grateful to Macaw, Deacon Andy, and all those who have shared their stories and those of their loved ones in the sacred labor of truth-telling. 
Indigenous scholar Dr. Maria Yellowhorse Braveheart names this truth-telling as the essential beginning to healing intergenerational trauma. Along with collective understanding, giving way to healing, and with great hope, transformed relationships. In Fratelli Tutti, Pope Francis describes cultivating a penitential memory. He says, We can never move forward without remembering the past. We do not progress without an honest and unclouded memory. The Holy Father modeled this by listening deeply as delegations of Canada's First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples visited the Vatican earlier this spring. After sharing about the abuses and traumas that they endured as boarding school survivors, Pope Francis offered a heartfelt apology, acknowledging the depth of wounds suffered. This long-awaited utterance held deep significance for many. Of course, apology is not the end of this or any journey. Rather, it marks a first step in walking toward a new future where we may be in right relationship with one another bringing our creator God's vision of justice to life. If you enjoyed this episode of Encounters with Dignity, make sure to subscribe to our show from your favorite podcast platform or by visiting catholicsmobilizing.org slash encounterswithdignity. For podcast updates and other news from Catholic Mobilizing Network, follow us on social media or sign up for our emails at catholicsmobilizing.org slash join. Feeling ready to engage more deeply with restorative practices? Then check out Paths of Renewed Encounter, CMN's Restorative Justice Engagement Guide for Catholic Communities. Get it at catholicsmobilizing.org slash paths. Coming next month on Encounters with Dignity. Father Greg Boyle, founder of Homeboy Industries and author of best-selling Tattoos on the Heart, joins us to share stories of accompaniment through his work with gang-involved individuals in Los Angeles, California. As we close, I invite us to pray with this quote from Servant of God, Nicholas Black Elk. The first piece, which is most important, is that which comes within the souls of people when they realize their relationship, their oneness with the universe and all its powers, and when they realize that at the center of the universe dwells the Great Spirit, and that this center is really everywhere. It is within each of us. Amen. Amen.